Let's talk about High Rise first of all, because well, your most acclaimed work seems to be when you're drawn to challenging projects or provocative directors or directors that like to provoke. What was it about this specific project that really caught your attention? Well, initially Ben, you know, I mean, uh, I didn't see his work sort of as it sort of came out, really. I, I still haven't seen Dan Terrace, which I think is probably his first yeah. thing, you know. I'd heard of him, I think, you know, and I live in Los Angeles, so I'm probably not quite on the, uh, the cusp of uh, provocative directors from, from England anymore, but, you know, I do follow what I can. So I'd heard of him, and then I caught up with um, Sightseers, um, because uh, I started hearing, like, it was like nuts in May, but, you know, with a sort of serial killer vibe, and I'm thinking, well, okay. And I knew that Midlands accent, so I'm thinking, oh, okay, that's interesting, you know. Um, so I saw that, and then I saw Kill List, and they both gave me the weirdest nightmares I've ever had. <laughs> really vivid, and, you know, just freaky stuff. And then I saw um, a field in England, and that just completely blew my mind. I thought it was fantastic, you know. Um, you know, I, I, I saw, to me, uh, Ben's like a filmmaker that's it's an experience when you're watching his films. You know, it's not just about, you know, the three-act narrative or something like that. Even though that's there, there's just room. You know, I mean, like the, I keep saying about the scene in field in England where... I think it's Reese comes out of the tent and um, they've got blank mass track, Chernobyl playing. And it's just fantastic. I mean, you know, it's the type of thing that would get cut out of most movies, you know, even if it was suggested it would be in there in the first place, you know. So you've got this experience that you're just going, my God, what happened in that fucking tent? You know, and... I just thought, yeah, this is this is great, you know, and, and he's got like this sort of it's a sort of a throwback to directors that I saw when I was sort of a you know an impressionable youth, if you like, like Nick Rogue and uh, Lindsay Anderson and Ken Russell, particularly, I think, you know, and um, so that was obviously the uh, the big pull. Um, the Ballard book, you know, I've read as part of well when I was doing English A levels and stuff like that, you know. Uh, which I loved, and um, you know, Ballard has got great connections with music from you know the Atrocity Exhibition, Concert Angels, and all these things that you know people have picked up on to you know be part of their 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 vibe, if you like, you know. So that was really good, and and also as well, Jeremy Thomas, he, you know, he was responsible for producing a lot of those films that that you know back when I was sort of growing up in the mid seventies and. Like, mid to late 70s, like the, even though we only had the three channels then, the, um, the BBC would, you know, you'd have a Monday night film, you'd obviously have like weekend films of like Hammer Horror stuff and that, so there was actually quite a lot going on and because, you know, there probably wasn't a lot of content in those days, you'd see films on the BBC like Walkabout or, you know, um, Bad Timing or Parallax View. Uh, if, you know, uh, Unman, Wittering and Zygo films like this, you know, that, that, that really now would be quite left-field art films, you know, whereas back then they were adult movies, you know, and uh, you know, somebody said to me today, you know, that, uh, you know, um, I uh, mentioned Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, you know, with um, Paul Newman and Elizabeth Taylor and Burl Ives, and Burl Ives plays uh, Big Daddy, you know, he's a patriarch of the family, and you know, we're going like, yeah, that, yes, that used to be the movies that 
adults watch. Now they watch Harry Potter, and not there's anything wrong with that, but it's like we don't seem to cater so much to that sort of level of work anymore. You know, it's it isn't very, a lot of stuff isn't particularly thought provoking. It's mostly escapism, you know. And um, I think for you know for me that that's not that interesting. I'm not really interested in entertaining somebody in that kind of way. I mean, I, I don't even know if I know how to do it, really, you know. I'm looking... For, for me, when we did um, Requiem for a Dream and we were really struggling to get the score together, I had the piece that would become Lux Turner, but it wasn't really being used in anything we did, and, and Darren and I... Um, I was living in New Orleans at the time, and he, he came down, we just tried music over every scene, you know, and we found this scene, and it's where Mar- Marion, Jennifer Connelly's character, has slept with the, uh, the psychiatrist for money, and she comes out, and she's got the camera attached to her, and um, the storm that's been brewing for the last half hour sort of cracks, you know, and she throws up in the, uh, in the bin outside the apartment block, and like, we put a very, very rough version of Lux Eterna under that and suddenly something else happened you know there, there was a, it was just completely different it, it, you know you went from image music and now there's something here that was that didn't exist before and, and we both were just blown away going, and it wasn't because of the music it wasn't because of the image it was because of the connection to the two you know and that for me is sort of what I'm still looking for you know and I think that um, directors like Ben are looking for things like that too, you know. Um, I love happy accidents in my work. Things go wrong and, and you get something you could never have thought of before. I mean, you can't rely on them, of course, but when they happen, they're fantastic, you know. And, you know, I think on films like, say, Paris, Texas or something, you know, I mean, Vin Vendor sort of created the space in that film for the score, you know. And that just doesn't seem to be what people are doing at the moment. So... Finding directors that have got a, a different view on 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 a film or want to not even saying it's doing something different. It's just it's just it's just letting film be what it can be, which is sort of a you know a really interesting and expressive art form. I I get that. I I, I think the, we talked earlier about um, we've talked about a number of composers that, that we we like admire, um, and and there's some composers that. I feel that become a little predictable. Um, and the thing that I've, I've found remarkable about your work is that I'm constantly surprised. And when I found out that Ben was shooting High Rise, um, I thought this is going to be great. Then I found out he was going to set it in the 1970s, not like, and, and Jeremy Thomas has been with the project for decades, and lots mm-hmm. of directors have come on board, mm-hmm. and everyone wanted to set it either in the present day or in the future. And Ben was the first person who said, no, let's go back to the 1970s. And what I first had in my mind then when I found out that you were involved was, okay, are we going back to what I think is David Cronenberg's version of High Rise, which right. is Shivers, his yeah, first yeah. film? Yeah. And that's got this really fantastic electronic score. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like someone hit me over the head when this film started, that suddenly you have this rich symphonic score that comes up. And, and, and it both stands in contrast, but also sort of undermines, it helps undermine this world that we're watching fall apart. Yeah, I mean, we were very conscious of the fact that, that you know, the movie couldn't get too dark too soon because we know we know where it's going. But also as well, so we had, we had to have a certain sort of uh, faux positivity up front, if you like. But also as well, 
everybody in there kind of thinks they're better than they are, if you like, you know. So musically, that was sort of what I was trying to do. This sort of almost slightly pompous, but slightly bravado about it, you know, just sort of this brave new world, you know, this new dawn that's going to be in this fantastic apartment building that's, you know, going to be basically better than everybody else, you know. Um, so we, 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 I mean, I think both Ben and I would have wanted to go down the um, uh, that Howard Shaw route or, or John Carpenter, you know, and uh, I think that would have been our dream, but we knew it really wouldn't work for, for the film. You know? What's interesting about that, and it's one of the reasons why I wanted to show a bit of Stoker um, in the opening montage, mm. is the first part of that piece of music could have come from Stoker yeah. and has that gothic element yeah. to a haunting element. And one of the things that's interesting about your score for High Rise is that it's not, strictly speaking, a linear narrative in that it follows so many characters, it's more of a tableau. Right, and I'm right. curious about the challenges that you faced of having trying, trying to encompass all these different storylines and characters. Um, well, you know, we had thought about, you know, the women having music, Royal having music, Lang having music, you know, the building having the music, you know. And um, I suppose one of the things that I enjoy doing is, is that cross-pollination, if you like, where things bleed into one another and, you, you know, as the story develops, you're bringing the characters together, if you like. So it was something that I kind of... I guess I did it on Requiem for a Dream, although I don't know if I really thought I knew what I was doing then, but first time I remember really doing it was, was on The Fountain, and with that, we had, um, we had the three time periods. And, you know, we were started thinking about doing a different sort of score for each time period. If you like. And then we thought, well, because the cutting is non-linear, it's going to sound like a dog's dinner after a while, you know. So it, it sort of evolved in a different way. But, but that was kind of the first time I did it. And, and, um, but with High Rise, you know, it's, um, it, it, you know, it, it, it's just... If, when you identify it, for me, that's just a fun thing to be able to do. It's something that I... I, I, I don't know. I, I get, I, I'm always nervous when I work, first work with a director that they're just going to think I'm just lobbing in this theme again because I just want to fill up the space, you know, where it's like... Um, I really like repetition and I love... I, you, know, you know, Halloween is one of my favourite scores, you know, and um, when we did Requiem again, Darren said, you know... Requiem's a monster movie, so every time the monster wins, we play the monster's theme music, you know. And so if every time the, the kids did more drugs or whatever, you, you, you know, you get, you get the theme. And I, I, I just love the way that themes connect you with the story, even though maybe those characters aren't on screen, they sort of replace you or help you realise where you are in the story with these suggestions of of uh, reiterated themes, you know, and um, it, it, it's hard work, but it, it, it's a lot of fun, and I, 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 I think that's why, what I think scores should do. I mean, I like the idea that, you know, you could play my score on its own, but hopefully still be in the story. You know, you didn't listen to it, you know, on the CD or the record or whatever, and you, you still have, the, the, the story feels like it's being told in, 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 in your ears, even though you're not seeing the image anymore, you know. So we, you know, we work hard at that to, to, to find it. It's, um, it's interesting thinking about themes, and if you're talking about character as well, that you've got one end of a film composing scale, the leitmotif of, of John Williams, which is the rousing Indiana Jones kind of mm -hmm. theme that 
doesn't change because it's something that makes us feel good when we hear it. What's interesting with something like Requiem for a Dream is that you have variations of Alexei Turner that follow the seasons, yeah. you know, the titles of yeah. each piece of music. None is the same. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's what I find interesting about your work is that, yes, there's a theme, but it's a constantly mutating thing. Well, I mean, we're ultimately trying to not tip the hand, I suppose, you know, because usually on the films I do, you'll end up with a very depressing version of the film. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of this the version at the end, you know, which is probably the usually the version I write, you know, and then I've sort of got to backtrack and start finding other versions of it that's, um, that, that, that will lead us there and culminate in it, you know, and, and it, it is sort of a, a, a symphonic approach, I suppose, to some degree, where, like, you, you build these themes and feelings and develop them to, to your end, end point, you know, and... Um, it's it to me it, it, the the score, you know, probably it's it's as complex as the script, you know. It, it, it's trying to help you with the same story, with the, but you know, without without words, you've still got to bring all those things into play. So, you know, it becomes very um, very complex, you know. When you're approached about being. Uh, of working on a film is the decision do you get involved from the script stage or do you come in later in the film what, what's uh, it, it varies really I mean in a perfect world yeah you know you'd be involved I'd like to be involved as long as possible but you know that really then depends on the people you're involved in you know be, be involved with because if you, you know if you're all walking you know heading in the right, same direction it's great even if you get it wrong and you're trying different sorts of things you know to find to try and find it, you know. But if somebody's just, you know, tempt the hell out of something and they just basically want you to copy it, you know, it's just you, know, you don't want to be around that at all, you know. But if, if somebody wants to explore and do, like I say develop something and experiment and you know, because I mean, when I say all that. I mean, yes, there are very certain tropes and whatever that you kind of need to hit. With the, with the score because you know you're trying to be impactful and support the film where you need to and hit it here and drop back there and all that sort of stuff but finding the way in which you do that so that you so I've been saying this a lot recently sort of um, and it is very pretentious but I, I kind of believe it you know you know like a sculptor says you know gets a piece of rock and the statue's already in there he's got to get it out you know he's just got to get it out and to some degree, I kind of always feel like the score's actually already written, I've just got to channel it. And if you can spend time with the material, experimenting, trying bits against it, you know, I mean, like, like the first two or three weeks when I'm working on a film are usually pretty miserable because nothing kind of works, you know. But then you get one little bit, you start writing, and you follow its lead, you know. You, the film is telling you what, what, it, what it's responding to, you know. So once you go uh, one little bit, then your mind starts going down this path with the film, and then suddenly perhaps some of the other ideas you were working on now have a context that you can go, oh, hang on a sec, that sort of works now, or if I change this or that, this would make sense with this, and you're then responding to what the film is telling you, and that for me takes time. I mean, I did so perhaps in five weeks, it's probably the quickest I've ever done a film, but in general, it, it takes me... I don't know, at least three months really to, to do it. Um, but that, and that's with, you know, just trying to absorb it as much as you can and, and, uh, and, and find, find that score, you know, find that sound that, that, that really works with what 
Because, you know, the, the director's made choices, the editor's made choices, the actors have made choices, and, you know, if somebody just, like, puts a temp on there, that, that, that negates all of those mm-hmm. to me, you know? Um, I want to respond to, you know, that your editor is, is one of your closest allies because he's, he's giving you the rhythm of the film, you know, or she's giving you the rhythm of the film. Um, and and you, you, you've, got, you've got to be on board with that, you know. You, I mean, there are places where you might want to go against it, but in general, you know, things are moving along together, if you like. And maybe it's just me, maybe I'm slow at it, I don't know. Maybe other people can do it in five minutes, I don't know, but I know I can't. And to, to, to get that time um, is paramount, really. And, and you know, uh, if I am on um, a film from the script stage, I'll write music from the script, you know, and you get to sort of start there and have, you know, a grab bag of ideas, if you like, for, um, for when you're getting, even getting dailies or the first assembly, they can they can put it up against it. And, you know, by and large, 99% of them probably don't work. But even that's good information because when, you know, when you start off, you've got this blank page, you know, so your choices are kind of like this, try anything. But you do a few things that don't work and then your choices come down to about here because the film's telling you oh, that, that's not what I'm looking for, you know. So you're refining all the time. Now, obviously, in a, a world like Hollywood, nobody's interested in that. They, they want to hear you say, I've done it, I'm going to nail this tonight, you'll have it in the morning, and we're, you know, we're leaving the theatres grinning already, you know. And, uh, you know, th- things don't work like that, I don't think, you know. I mean, you can provide something, but is that the thing, you know? I don't know. So time is. Um, is your, is, your, is, your, is your rarest commodity and you want as much of it as you can get. You know? Before we see a clip of Requiem for a Dream, this is such a radical score for a film. That music is really born out of the kind of things that I was doing when I was in my band, you know, working with samplers and that, because, uh, you know, back in those days I'd like, get sounds and cut them up and place them along the keyboard and try and find, you know some rhythm or melodic element just built up out of all these little cut-up sounds, you know, and um, I thought, uh, one of the things Darren had said, you know, Requiem for a Dream, Requiem's a musical term, you know, Um, so I don't tell anybody, but like I would sample, you know, a chord from, you know, somebody else's Requiem over, like Mozart or, uh, you know, one of the amateurs. Yeah, one of those. Uh, and I, I basically had a sort of type of thing across the keyboard. And that is the closest he's going to get to the piano this yes. <laughs> And what I did then was I've got all these sample sounds, and they were just hits, really. They, were, they weren't uh, melodic elements, or they were just sounds that I'd taken from sort of classical pieces. And then I ran a drum machine through them so the drum machine was at the tempo that I decided the scene was at and I just hit play and it just started and it was this crazy drum but it just started firing off all these down so I recorded all that and then I'd find little phrases in there like that would just be coming off the hi-hat pattern or something and I'd cut that out and be like I like that bit then find another bit cut that out and then I'd go okay well this feels like that would go next to that and I just built it up out of um, you know sort of like to me it's like you know you, you know, trying to sort of uh, 
re-image yourself as something cool. It's almost like a music concrete type of thing, you know, we're using these fan sounds to build something else out of, you know, and it was like um, the drum machine just just had the, the pace and the power, if you like, and it was pumping out this... And, it, you know, it's... It, it's it, it, that whole end of the that whole end of the film is relentless, you know. And um, Darren had drawn me a sort of a graph of the film, if you like, of um, you know of of emotional peaks, if you like. So you start here and go there, and then it goes up a bit and down a bit here, and then you know we we get towards the, end of the film, it's, it's going up here. But, but even in that, it starts to come down again here, then back up, and you know. So so I I basically tried to map that out, you know, with this. Um, with, with with this style, I was doing it, and I sent it to Darren. So I was living in New Orleans at the time, and I honestly think that him and Jay, the editor, laughed, and they didn't they didn't know what the fuck I was doing. You know, um, excuse my French. Um, and to be honest, I didn't either. Really, it was just an idea. I thought, well, you know, this could be quite interesting. And um, you know, Darren always said, you know, he said, go like, well, you know, you're the music guy. You're you're, you're you should be ahead of me. I, I should be playing catch up, trying to figure out. You know what, what what he's doing and, and that you know, um, so yeah, it was um, it, that, that's what I say. You know, it was like experimental. But it's uh, what's amazing about it. It's your second film school after Pi, and Pi is fantastic. And something I was talking to you earlier said it, it's their fa- it's still your, their favourite of your mm-hmm. your schools, but that felt like a series of ideas that someone was working out interspersed with other music in the film right. and Requiem for a Dream suddenly arrives fully formed The Fountain follows it fully formed you've done so much more than this but in many ways uh, one of uh, the ways of describing you could be you are the go-to guy for film quartets um, <laughs> what is it about the string quartet that you find so conducive to your way of working it's the intimacy I think you know, I, I, I've definitely got a thing for the cello Maybe it's through my um, lack of education, for want of a better phrase, but the bigger things get, the less personal they become, I think, for me anyway. So there's more of the intimacy is what I think I respond to, you know. Um, I'm probably a pretty lonely person, and I think the single strings speak to me in that way, you know. Um, and, and, and really, you know, it's like... <laughs> Um, I mean, I was just watching that there. I, I obviously haven't seen that in years, really, you know. But um, it, it's punk rock to me, you know. Uh, it's um, it's very expressionistic, but it's like um, it's very simple. It could almost be the Ramones. Whatever you, whatever you write is basically the Ramones. You have some some rhythm, some melody, some some progression, you know. And whether it's symphonic or a banjo, you know, those are, those are going to be the elements that, that constitute music, you know, and it's it's something that, that speaks to me, I suppose, you know, I mean, and, you know, playing with the, with the band the other night, you know, it, it can it can really come across, I think, I hope, you know. Um, but the films themselves, I think, are, they, they tend to be on the smaller side, really, you know, and, and you don't, you don't want to overpower them with bodies, if you like, you know, and uh, uh, the, the quartet, especially, I mean, when doing that, you know, I mean, the first part of that you could, is almost like, uh, like it could be part of pie, actually, you know, mm-hmm. the sort of electronic side of it, but then 
the introduction excuse me, of, of the Cronus Quartet, you know, at, at a stage where, I mean, I remember being in the studio recording them when we were at Skywalker in San Francisco, you know, which is like just unreal for a start. And we've got Cronus Quartet, and I remember Darren saying, you know, we just haven't earned this yet, you know. Um, to have them, you know, yeah, you know, I may have written the music and all that, but it, it, it's the life they, they breathe into it, you know. Um, the, the, you can see on Jennifer's face there, you know, the, the, the sort of humiliation, if you like, you know. And so the music is kind of, kind of taunting, I suppose, but you can also feel her sort of despair in it, you know, and um, the sort of delusion that um, Ellen's character is going to, and uh, Harry, know, uh, Jared knows what she's done, and you know, it, it's 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 almost like the music is kind of laughing at them, but in a very bitter sort of way, you know. And um, you know, I just find that a, a place where I can find things. I think you know. It's interesting. Um, you say about the the, the films you've worked on, are, are perhaps more intimate, or many of them are more intimate. Um, you look at a film like The Fountain, and we saw a clip of it earlier. In its scope, it's epic, um, and it. It kind of reminded me of a comment that Maurice Shah had said about when he was composing for Lawrence of Arabia, um, and someone was asking about the scale. He said, "No, no, the divisions are big, but I'm actually telling the story of one single person yeah. with my my one, music." One man, yeah. And I think if you'd had a full orchestra for the fountain, it would have completely overwhelmed the film. Yeah, I think it would have. Yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, and, and that was part of you know the process of, of having that time because. Like I said, we, we had these ideas of like every time from every time period have a different sound, if you like, and so we tried that, and that, that was a mess, you know. And then you know you boil it down, and after a while you go like, oh well, you know, when, you, when it comes down to it, this is just one man's story of, of, of his love, if you like, you know. So to that point, you, that changes everything because you go, oh, I know, man. Well, if that's the case, you know, it could just be a piano score. It could just it could be much much smaller than. Okay, we've got, I think it was like a $35 million budget, which was like, you know, more money than I'd even heard of, let alone been involved in, you know. So at that point, you kind of think, oh, it's a big film, Hugh Jackman is a big star, so we've got to go big, you know. Um, and, you know, the, 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 again, like I say, you know, you, you have this time with the film, and the film starts to telling you what it's responding to, you know, and you, you, you learn from it, you know, and I say... I mean, you know, Darren had written it and shot it, and I think it was still quite a bit of a revelation to him that musically, that's what it needed to be, was one, it's, one, it's about one guy, you know? Um, and, you know, I, I think that's the, um, the secret to a degree for me. It, it's, it's the choosing the, of the projects that, that allow me to do the things I can, I can do or things I like to do, you know? And it comes down to the personalities involved and the stories they're trying to tell. So let's move on to um, Stoker, which is um, uh, Park Chanwood, Chanwood Park, sorry, um, and which is this gothic thriller. Um, I, I'm just curious about what attracted you to that because it felt like it's, it's a film that works within genre but at the same time is playing with the whole concept of that genre. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, Director Park, as, as we call him, I don't know why that is, but it's, that's, that's, I guess it's, that's the sort of um, respectable term. Great guy and a, really a really smart guy, you know. So smart, in fact, that he tells everybody he can't speak English and he has a translator. 
even though he can, he knows everything you're saying, you know. So he just, I think he just keeps the studios at a distance from him, you know, because like, uh, I've been working with him, and uh, I discovered he liked red wine, so we were really uh, on the same page. And uh, I'd ask a question to Wanjo, his uh, translator, and director Park had answered it before he did, you know. So he knew exactly what was going on. But, um, yeah, I mean, the reason that I don't want to do that film was because of him, you know. Um, I'd said to my agent, um, I can't remember what else I'd done prior to that, but I was obviously sick of something. And I said, let's try and find something different, you know. I, I, I want to find something with a different sensibility, you know. And, you know, making his films and growing up and living being Korean, you know, he's going to have a very different outlook to me. And, you know, and he, he does beautiful films, I think, you know. And when I was working with him, there were probably only two or three pieces that he didn't really like that he sort of had me rewrite, if you like. But everything else, he'd just go, oh, yeah, you know, go to school. And he would give me, like, a... I mean, a note that you'd just go, like, oh, OK, I can do that, but it doesn't seem like that big a deal. He might just be moving in two frames or something. And it would pop. Something, you know, he, he, could, he could spot little things that he was looking for, you know. And, um, and it was really brilliant. I mean, that... Um, They'd had another composer on the film before I came on, and it hadn't worked out. And um, uh, I, I, my name had come up somehow, I don't know, but um, I went to see the film, and um, just a rough cut of it. And I, it was just one of those ones you can kind of see what it needs. It felt a certain way, you know. I loved the the dreamlike quality of it all. You know, it was just like. It, 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 to, it reminded me in, in feel, although it's probably very different to the film now, but when I saw it, it made me think of Picnic at Hanging Rock. That's very, you know, it's almost like everything's somehow, you know, you're just a little off, you know. And, and uh, he gets a dream that's just short of a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, you know, and he, he, he understates everything, you know, and it's uh, just just beautiful. And, and, and it's, it's sort of weird at first because... You know, he, he, everything is, like I say, just a little bit off. So you kind of, at one point, you could go, my God, this, this actually could just be, just come over as really bad, if you like, because it doesn't work in what we would traditionally expect, if you like. But once you sort of get his rhythm and his pacing and then the sound design and the music starts bringing everything together, all, all the performances are great, you know. Uh, Nicole Kidman and Matthew Good, I thought was really great in it. And, and Mia... Second name I can never What's pronounce. Yeah. He's fantastic, you know, and and those are the again those are the things that I'm that I respond to, you know, they being able to weave the music with those performances. Um, One of the, the great strengths of the film is um, director Park understands the importance of silence, um, and it's, it's it's always something fascinating to me with composers um, knowing when not to have music, not just in terms of this film, and it, and again in the way that you said it's his way of looking at America, I'm quite fascinated by the way that you looked at America with The Wrestler, and that is a film that features, I think, at most about 12 minutes of music. Mm -hmm. Both those films play up the silence brilliantly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, again, you know, it, it, it's, it's listening and, and watching and learning from the film, you know. I mean, I, uh, Mickey Rock's performance is great in The Wrestler, and I, I, you know, Darren and I spotted it, and we would try, you know, try something here, try something there. And you know the beast seems like um, I think after his first um, his first contacted uh, Evan as his daughter, and um, 
he's back in his trailer or wherever he lives and he's just having a beer by the fridge, you know, and you could have, you know, just had a nice little transitional piece that sort of, you know, summed up his afternoon with his daughter, if you like, and like, things are on the up here for this guy, you know, and takes you into the next scene. And I, and I did a piece like that. And basically, it made everybody look like a hack. Because Mickey had already done it in his face, you know, so you put music on it, and suddenly, now his performance is completely overblown. So, you know, Darren looks stupid, I look stupid, Mickey looks stupid, he just didn't need it, you know, because you're watching the film and you're going, well, we call it putting a hat on a hat. You know, it's like, well, you've got one hat on, why do you need another, you know? And when you've got a performance like that, you know, uh, Jane will enjoy this one because it's, it's not always about me, even though obviously I quite like it to be about me. But, uh, um, that's what you, you've got to, you've got to recognise what, what's there, you know, and, and what, you, what, what you can bring them. And, and, and also as well, where you can really get in the way, you know. And um, one of the things about film music that that's, can be troublesome for you is the fact that it's film music. You're always aware that you're watching a film. So even if you're trying to create this, you know, other reality or nightmare scenario, horror, whatever it might be, if you, if you snap people out of it, they're just going to go like, oh yeah, I'm just watching a film, you know. You, you never want to do that. You want to keep them in that world, if you like, so that they, they experience what's going on on the screen. And it becomes about, like I, say, I keep saying it, about listening and <coughs> watching the film and knowing what, what it really needs, you know. And uh, Darren says the rest of the proves that he can make movies without me, but, um, you know. <laughs> 12 minutes or 50 minutes, you know, every minute is powerful, you know, so, um, but, you know, it's just about what it needs and what it, what it wants, and, you know, it was, it was a big surprise to me that that was all going to be the music that was in there. Um, I mean, I, Darren had me really right, the last cue, because, um, you know, there's a lot of heavy metal in there, you know, and, um, uh, you know, I'm going like, okay, well, this guy's from Jersey, and... I go, what, what, what would be the music for this guy? And obviously, you've got to sort of get it to sit cohesively with the, with the soundtrack. And, and that did lead me to Bruce Springsteen, particularly the Nebraska album, you know. Um, and again, you know, there's a lot of space in that record that's, that's quiet and haunting. And, and suddenly, I go, oh, hang on a second. Because one of the early ideas that Darren wanted was almost like fairground music because... He, he, he said that, that Mickey's body was broken, and so if the music sounded like it was wheezing and jing, and I, I remember doing an early sort of fairground piece, but it, it was just it just seemed very cartoony, you know. But but you know that, those are the things to try. Those are that that's like I say that suddenly okay, intellectually that's a very good idea. You put it into practice, no. Oh. This doesn't work at all. So it, 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 it puts your mind into another place. You think about something else, and you, you, you've actually, even though you've got something wrong, you've actually discovered a lot about the film, you know. And that's what I mean about having the time to experiment, to find, you know, what, what, what's going to really work and make this, this film be what it can be, or this character's performance what it can be. I guess it's also understanding the function of, the film, uh, of music within each film, because it's not the same all the time. That the, the very plaintive guitar played by Slash in, mm. in The Wrestler is very much about his character and the frailty of his character um, whereas other music is a way of allowing the audience entry into that world 
um, which brings us to Moon, mm. which is one of the most... I can't believe I can't play a musical instrument, and I'm about to say remarkably simple um, <laughs> refrains on piano, but it is that's what pulls people in. It's slightly hypnotic, mm-hmm. and it is this thing that, that, that sort of pulls you into this world. How quickly did you reach the point where you thought you got the music for, for Moon? Um, pretty quickly, actually. Again, I mean, uh, that was may still be the best script I've ever read. It's brilliant. Um, Nathan Parker wrote it, I think. And, um, uh, you know, whether it just spoke to me or whether it is actually brilliant, I don't really know. Uh, probably, you know, I don't, I don't know. I'm sure there's lots of great scripts out there, but it's the one that I've responded most to, you know. And I think that was because of its, um, you know, isolation, loneliness, which was something I, you know, very much know about. And, um, asking the big questions like what is it to be human and that and then you've got Sam Rockwell who's just I mean I, I think he's a brilliant actor anyway and, and so when I found out he was in it's going oh god that's going to be cool that could be cool you know um, so you know when you've got signposts or, or, or sort of frame, framework that is that good it's like it raises your game for you because you've got you've got to match it, you know. And it's exciting. You're, you're watching it and you're going, oh, you know, this is good stuff. And that's the most inspiring thing there is, you know. And um, working with directors at that point of their career, because it, because we all change, you know, we're all changed by the experiences we have. But there's there's something about those early films with people that's just it's just pure excitement, and you know it's good. You know what you've got is, is working, and so, and, and you know you're arrogant and and cocky, and go, yeah, you know we can do this, and so ideas seem to flesh out and grow, and everybody loves them, you know, because because you, you've never been told you can't do it, or you know, because it's, it's it's like it's like making your first record, you know, it, it, you're just on fire, and um, you know, I, I just. You know, it's just, it's just, uh, you're, 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 there's a big piano here yeah. if you want to go and play on it. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I, when I first get a film, I'll watch it repeatedly, either at the piano or just with my guitar, just to, just really to find the pacing, you know, as much as anything. I don't have something to do while I'm watching it, really. <laughs> and you, but you can, you, know, you can start picking up the, the pacing and, and, and just, you know, I mean, you might get a little something, but, um, you know, and then that, um, I, I bought this, uh, this new software piano called Ivory that, you know, is a huge library and you can, you know, you've got bows and daubers in there and Steinways or whatever, but you can also go in and really mess with the sound, you know. Um, so I'd been just doing that, and I'd found a sound I liked, you know, the, oh, that, that's it. and then just playing, and, oh, yeah, that's all right, I like that. And, you know, you sort of, uh, the, the way I do things is often like that, and you're layering stuff up, you know, and, you know, you find a place where it changes that feels good, and you then start putting that to picture, and, oh, and this feels pretty good, you know, and you then play, play it to Duncan, and... Uh, because I was in LA, he was in London, he came to spend some time with me, and uh, I'd done, 
I've done quite a bit of the film, and he just sort of went, fantastic, it's great, yeah, just keep going, you know. It, it wasn't, there was a couple of, again, a couple of things that probably weren't working, but in general, it just happened because, was, you know, it's like, I look at it like, um, when you meet somebody, you know, you have a chemical reaction with somebody, there's chemistry or there isn't, you know. And I find film like that really, you know, it's like I'm, I'm turned on by it or whatever, how do you want to describe it? And I go, I think this can work, you know, and I get a couple of pieces and you, you get confidence from those pieces. You play them to the director or the producer, whatever, and they go, oh, yeah, this is pretty good. And, and then, you, you know, you can kind of run with the ideas. But, it, you know, it really does come down to... I know I've, I've said this before, and it, it's, it's probably unfair, really, but, you know, it's easy to score a good film. It's impossible to score a bad one, you know. And that, that's... Maybe a great composer can score a bad film and make it brilliant. I don't know, you know. But I always wonder, what, well, you know... If inspiration and creativity are obviously very important, if you could just deliver... brilliant stuff every time, then that sort of negates any creativity or, or inspiration, so that, and that's, that can't be, you know, because when you're inspired, you're gonna, you've got to do better, you know. So if you, you know, if you find material that speaks to you and you're responding to, I, I think you've got a better chance of coming up with, with the goods. We also have a clip of Black Swan, so if we have time, we can perhaps show it at the end, but before I do open the floor to any questions, perhaps you can talk quickly about that you had freedom to do whatever you want working with directors, collaborating with directors. Um, and then you have Black Swan where you are working with another musician who died a very long time ago. Tchaikovsky. What, what, how much of a challenge, how much of a, a challenge for you was it to actually take someone else's work and then try and do something with it? Um, again, you know, it was, I, I, I really liked that idea, you know, I mean, it's fantastic music for a start, and um, it also meant I didn't have to, have to write that much, so that was sort of like <laughs> a huge burden lifted, you know, um, because to me, you know, the, the moment we started discussing the idea, I said, you know, well, the music needs to be built out of Swan Lake, because, you know, she's going to be hearing this music all the time, it's going to drive her nuts, you know. So it was actually probably one of the most enjoyable experiences in, in not in particularly making the film, but making the music. Because I, um, I find it hard to write the music, you know, because you, it's hard. I mean, I say you go go through all that stuff and find what's right, you know. Um, but having all that music to play with was was a lot of fun. I, I as a guy that I worked with called David Russell who. He's like a programmer, and uh, he's, a, he's a composer in his own right as well. But um, I'm always going to him to say, "Can you do me a MIDI version of this or something, so I can have it in the computer, so I can mess around with it?" And like when it did, you know, something like Winter Wonderland or something in filth, you know, he, I'll get him to do me that. He gives me back, and I play it in the computer. So I had him do the entire music for for, for Swan for, of the score of Swan Lake, and he. he uh, you know, put it all in MIDI for me, gave it back to me. And then I just started going through... We knew we, we, knew we needed to certain, use certain iconic pieces, for the dance pieces and things like that, you know. So those were kind of... We could, and, I, and I sort of reworked those a little bit, but 
But then I started going through just the whole, listening to the, the whole pieces, and, and like, you know, taking out things and finding like a, a two-bar loop or you know that I liked, and then I'd take notes out of that, and so and I try and find things that you know, and I slow the tempo down, speed up, whatever. Try to find things that I responded to, you know, going like, oh, I like that rhythm, or I like the way that melody now has changed into something like this, and I could put my own melody over it and stuff. And I just kept playing, really, you know, and then trying and then putting these little bits against against the picture, and so much of the, you know. You know stuff like the Night of Terror, and you know it's all there in his work. You know, so I effectively felt like I remixed it. You know, um, and you know, and again, it, it, it's one of those things that it's not about. It's about the music, wherever that music comes from, whether, whether I've written it or we've repurposed it or whatever. That was the right idea for that film. You know, and uh, you know, I could have. We could have not gone that way, and I could have written a score. It could have maybe been electronic score. Perhaps could have worked. I don't know, but I think that was the right idea. And when we started again putting into picture, you're like, yeah, this is going to be cool. This is really, you know, it just felt like that's the right thing to do. This, this, it just makes the the whole idea of the film more concrete by having it be Tchaikovsky's music that really, you know, drives her over the edge or helps drive her over the edge. You know, and it was um, it was a lot of fun. It really was. It's interesting hearing you talk about that in relation to Requiem for a Dream and piecing together the disparate elements of, of Ballard's High Rise. Um, actually makes me think of a fan, uh, someone Ballard really admired, William Barrows and the cut up pulled yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. It is the idea of taking things that are already present, mixing them together to create something new. Well, I, I mean, I. I love that. I mean, it was something that I did very much back in the band days, you know. And uh, you know, and I, I love the, the clip of Bowie in uh, uh, Alan Yentob's cracked act, you know, where he's, he's cutting up the, the words and, and, and saying this because, like, there's a, there is a um, what's the right word? I don't know, but, but like I say, it's like a similar sort of thing to the sculpture and the stone. It's already out there, you know, and if you, you know you. you Cut up things and put them, reorganise them, put them back in together. It's like this really makes sense all of a sudden, you know. And I, one of the things I love, because I, like this is one of the things I love about film scoring is because you you are pushed to think not about the music so much, but about the structure. And you know, obviously, you think about the music as well, and go like, okay, well now the music has got to change, it's got to do something else. Is sort of what I mean. Left to my own devices, I think I, I, you know, without those sort of impetus, I think I'd probably write some quite boring music. But because you're hit with these different things, it, you have to think in a different way. You're influenced to go here or go there, and and you put all these things together, and you end up perhaps with something you never could have expected because you're not. Again, it's like it's like one of the things I, I, I mean, I'm jumping all over the place, sorry, but I like I like writing very very early in the morning because. My mind is empty and clear, and I call it uh, getting out of my own way, you know. Because later in the day, I'm just, you know, my brain's working, and, you know, I sort of, oh, I could do this, oh, yeah, but that won't work. Whereas in the morning, I just go, I could do this, and I do it, you know. Your mind, my mind goes into a different place as the day goes on, and taking me out of the equation almost 
really sort of helps things happen, I think, you know, and um, it's, I guess it's sort of, you know, again, a little hippy-dippy, but it's sort of meditative, and it, it is a little, um, you know, experimental and jamming and trying stuff, but that's, it, I don't know, you can find things you would never have expected and hidden secrets amongst the work, you know, it's like I say, that time we put that music under Jennifer's scene in Requiem for a Dream, it just transcended, you know, it's just transcendent, and, and I don't know that if I'd watched that scene, I could have written the music to it, because I don't know if it, I don't know if it actually made me feel that way. But when you've got all these ideas and you, you move them around and you edit and I'm, I'm, you know, oh man, this this feels like this is a, this is a feeling we weren't looking for, but now we've found it. Fucking hell! How how did we not know that we wanted it? You know. I guess that's the important thing about the work, though, that goes against the grain of, of what the cut up folding idea was originally. What you're doing is not an intellectual, but an emotional exercise. Well, yeah, I mean that's that's very much it for me, really. You know, it, it's um, it, it's that that feeling that you get back from it, um, that that you respond to. You know, which I mean, just watching that clip of Requiem, I remember um, some years later realizing that if we'd have had any sort of real heavy studio involvement, they they probably would have scrapped that score, I think, because it because it, it is so repetitive and it's it's. You could argue it's too on the nose, you know. Um, dun, 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 dun. But it, you know, it was, you know, a guy who was prepared to go there, really, you know. And um, you know, I've worked with a lot of people since then who, you know, ask you to do things like be a little more neutral, you know. I don't think I could play you a piece of music that doesn't do anything, you know. <laughs> um, and, and and people are very frightened of. Uh, I mean, again, the moon piece where. Um, you know, Sam's taking the body out, you know, and we've got that memories piece, you know, it's, a lot of people don't like emotion, you know, because they, they think, oh, people are not going to respond to it, or they're going to think I'm sappy or something, you know, and, you know, I just go like, well, you know, if you want a, if you want a movie of depth, you can't, you can't just slap on, you know, emotional music to any film, it's got to be there in the film, but then, you know, if you're prepared to go with it, you can, you know, hopefully do something that, that means something to people and I, I feel very fortunate that I've been able to work with people that we've been able to come together and, and, and do some of that, you know. Let's take some questions from the audience. If we can turn the lights up, please. Um, we've got one hand up there. Um, I was just wondering, in regards to your work on uh, Mass Effect, how did the workflow differ from uh, conventional film composition? Uh, it mostly differed by me quitting the job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of my famous boards is one for last night. Um, oh, yeah, right. And I always find it interesting when, um, when it comes to film music, the difference between composing for a series of images and then when you're having to compose for a movie that is full of dialogue and wondering where the music has to go. And I'm always wondering, um, where is there a kind of a different process when you're scoring against an actor's performance and then underplay against their dialogue and also when you're having to compose against a series of images that is telling the story? Well, yeah, I mean, um, you know, you've always got to be... Um, uh, I mean, you've always got to serve the film, basically. You know, the film is, is, is master. And, and obviously, if there's no dialogue going on, you have the montage and stuff like that. There's a lot, there's a, the, the music can have a lot more... 
uh, focus, if you like, to, 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 in what's actually going on. If there's a lot of dialogue, you need to mostly stay out of the way, you know, depending on what that dialogue is. Um, so, it, it, it really is, uh, I mean, every film is different, you know, you, you really could go, uh, well, because every director is sort of different, you know, they, you may have very similar sort of films, but one guy wants to take it in a certain way, another guy wants to take it in another, you know. So, you, you, you again, it's like what I say about listening to the film and watching the film and, and feeling what it needs, you know, you, 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 you can, I think, you know, I think you can determine what, what's required, even if you, you know, you're doing a piece that you really like, but you know that it's probably fighting other things. Um, you, you've got to be really, really passionate, but somehow dispassionate as well, because you, you've got to be sort of prepared to let things go that, you know, you, you really worked hard on. Um, you know, that's one of the hard things with the Fountain, for instance. I mean, I love that, and it got absolutely slaughtered, you know. And it makes you think, well, why did I bother, you know? Um, did, how do you protect yourself from those sort of things? You just sort of phone it in all the time? Well, well no, you don't. You, you have to move on, you know. But, but yeah, it's always about sort of working with the film and, and, and feeling what it needs, you know. And, uh, and there'll, be other, there'll be some dialogue scenes that you, you don't have to work so hard with because maybe maybe they're shouting, maybe the information isn't quite so important, maybe, you know, it's just, or it, it's, it's just a different dynamic, if you like, but there's, it, it, they're all different and you, and you kind of got to be awake and, and, and work with them, you know. Also with, the, if I'm not mistaken, that film, you worked with the uh, Peter Broderick on a song, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which again was sort of a sideways step. Yeah, well, um, Massey, who directed it, um, had been using this song of Peter's at the end of the film that really sort of played over the images beautifully. You know, he's got a, he's got a wonderful voice, Peter has. And um, I'd done the rest of the score, and his song was a very acoustic guitar piece. The rest of the score's all piano, you know. So it was like, wow, it feels like we just dropped into a different, <laughs> different film now. Um, so, you know, we were going back and forth, and Peter said, well, maybe I could sing this song over one of your themes from the film, you know. And so we sort of, you know, played the keys and stuff like that and tempos and rearranged uh, one of the themes so that he, his, his vocal would fit on it, you know. And he came in and re-sang it, and um, it, it sort of felt perfect, you know. Yep. Really enjoy your work, so thank you. Um, thank you, thank you very much. I was just wondering what your dream project would be. James Bond. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know because um, you know I'm I'm on the verge of quitting every, every week really. Um, <laughs> I'm I, I, I'm tired and uh, you know I don't know you know I saw Ben the other night and he talked about some things that all sounded pretty cool but um, I don't know I, I tend not to think about those things to be honest because. Um, I have no real control over them to a certain degree, unless I was to sort of drive the project myself, you know. Um, I've been really lucky, really fortunate that, that good things have come my way or interesting things to me have come my way. I've to, you know, I, I would like to do something in theatre, I think. Um, or some, you know, something, still doing what I do but not film, I think, you know. Um, theatre or maybe, you know, 
Maybe Matthew Bourne would call me for a ballet or something, you know. Black pretty, Swan, the stage show. Yeah, it'd be pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know. There's a, a woman at the back, and then we'll come down to... First of all, I would like to thank you for your music, because it's been a big chunk of the soundtrack of my life, in a sense. And then, on the other hand, I would like to ask you what is your inspiration, where does it come from? Is it any other music composers, bands, art, or anything in particular that really moves you? Well, I mean, it, it's all of those things, really. You know, I think um, I think we're sort of a, a product of, of our experiences. You know, um, whether it be wet in the bed or bullying at school or whatever it might be. You know, um, Bowie on top of the pops, Susie and the Banshees, Joy Division, John Carpenter. You know, Nick Rogue, Mogwai, Stooges. Gabriel Yarrow's score for Betty Blue, you know, Spellbound, uh, all of those things are kind of in there, really, you know, and uh, the poems of Robert Montgomery, the poems of the First World War poets, you know, all that stuff, something that just touches you. I'm a very downbeat sort of character, I suppose, but, you know, the upside of that is that I, I feel quite deeply, I think, you know, so music has always, always, always spoken to me, and, and, and film has, and, you know, and, not every film, not every piece of music, but you find the bits that, that you like and they make you want to do something as good as that. Or I, mean, I, I guess there's some kind of ego in there, so it's pretty narcissistic to think you've got something to say, I guess. But what else am I going to do, you know? <laughs> um, unfortunately, we, we do actually have to draw it to uh, close. Um, a few thank yous. Thanks to BAFTA and the Albert Hall, also to PRS for Music and to Academy Circle for organising this event. But and thank most you all, for coming. Can you please join me in thanking Tim Mansell? Thank you.